From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. 2022 is upon us. Welcome to episode 11 of Free and Inspired Radio. My name is Philip Watkins. It's been a very big 2021. Let's see whether or not 22 is different. I hope you've had a safe and comfortable entrance to the new year so far. It's great to have you with us again. For the first episode of this year, we're going to be dealing with two long-running questions. What's the deal with gluten and should I go gluten-free? Now, it doesn't take too many consultations into my practice day to have the gluten conversation. I don't think I'm overstating things when I suggest that it might be the most hotly contested dietary conversation of the last decade. Uptake uptake of the gluten-free diet seems to not show any signs of slowing, with the Financial Times stating that the global gluten-free retail market has grown from 1.7 billion US dollars in 2011 to 3.5 billion US dollars in 2016, growing to an estimated 6.5 billion US in 2022. That's quite the growth rate. In this episode, if you're new to the concept, I'm going to be introducing gluten and where it comes from and how it might affect you. Then we'll be looking at some of the disadvantages of going into a gluten-free diet, of which there are some obvious and apparent risks. Let's get started with some basics though. What exactly is gluten? Gluten from the Latin term gluten means glue and is the main form of protein found in wheat rye and barley, amongst other grains. It's a complex of over 100 different types of similar but distinct proteins, the main ones called gliadin and glutenin. So when you hear of the immune response occurring in the body, the immune response is activated for those proteins. Now, there are similar proteins in rye, barley and oats, and they're also referred to as gluten. So gluten is extremely popular in the food industry because it's heat stable and an excellent binder. Now its use as an additive is also common in processed foods, mainly to improve flavor and texture and also to retain moisture, which is important when you're processing a food. I think you'd be surprised how many foods contain gluten, but let's look at some of the main ones first. So for people living with celiac disease, the removal of gluten is necessary to prevent a dangerous progression. And according to the Celiac Disease Foundation, here is the comprehensive list of gluten-containing grains and their derivatives that if you're a celiac, you would need to stay away from. So listen to this. Wheat. Varieties and derivatives of wheat, including wheat berries, durum, emma, semolina, spelt, farina, 
farrow, graham, camut, and einkorn wheat. There's also rye, barley, which we've mentioned, tricale. Malt in various forms included malted barley flour, milk and milkshakes with malt added, malt extract, malt flavouring, malt vinegar and malt syrup. Brewer's yeast and wheat starch. Now the malts are actually what often end up tripping people up when they're trying to do a very strict gluten-free diet. So definitely one to check with your nut milks and things like that. They often have malt added as a sweetener. Now, it's quite the exhaustive list there, don't you think? I think it's very difficult if you're a celiac, especially if you're listening to this in Hong Kong. But there are other ways you can come into contact with gluten, which might actually not be as entirely obvious. Some unexpected sources of gluten that you may not be aware of could actually be in your bathroom. So here's a list of potential unexpected sources of gluten for you. Medications. So this is a common way this happens is or a common way this happens is via wheat derivatives and excipients. And it's also always essential to define the excipients, especially as some of the starches used can come from wheat. Uh, vitamins and nutritional supplements, which uh, is this in the same boat, so some of the non-active excipients can be from wheat. Uh, pickles, which sometimes contain malt vinegar, so once again, you've always got to be careful of malting uh, or adding malt. Uh, gravy because of the flour used in the production process, soy sauce, miso which is made with barley, Uh, beer which I always feel like I have to apologize for people for, Uh, it's uh, mainly because of I believe the hops, and beauty products such as toothpaste, shampoo, lip balms and lipsticks and just a side note on the beer, obviously there's barley in there as well, so there you go, but the big one is the beauty products and it's often a big surprise to people, Um, it's I, I think over the years, the preceding me writing this, the problem has largely been remedied with the beauty products. But there was a period when many beauty products had gluten in them, which is nuts. Imagine being a celiac and just putting lipstick on, which is literally just putting gluten on your lips. Uh, not good if you have a very sensitive autoimmune condition. A study released in 2010 about the amount of gluten in in products Uh, this was a survey conducted in australian supermarkets found that gluten is in was in approximately 2,000 different items ranging from sauces to processed meats as well as shampoos and pain relief medications at the time typically i've seen patients who have developed urticaria based symptoms so that's just things like hives and skin rashes uh, after trying some new skincare products who with hydrolyzed wheat proteins in them so it is it is common to happen so it's just something to consider but once again the extent that these can cause problems for people living with gluten issues for the most part remedied now i believe but there's always an exception to the rule right so always necessary to be diligent so what makes gluten a problem for people living with celiac disease the gliadin protein we discussed before contains small chains of amino acids and if you're new to that term, amino acids are the parts that link up to form a protein. These amino acids are called peptides or the chains are called peptides. Now these peptides are highly resistant to being broken down by gastric, pancreatic and intestinal digestive functions and it's here that the problems can start. 
So the resistance to absorption is just the tip of the iceberg for those living with celiac disease. When someone with the genetic tendency encounters the proteins in gluten, the immune system causes a varying degree of damage to the small intestine. This damage becomes severe and chronic over time. The small intestinal damage causes malabsorption symptoms, so the inability to digest your vitamins and minerals, amongst other things, abdominal pain and bowel symptoms, such as diarrhea. And other symptoms include weight loss, iron deficiency, anemia, something called steatorrhea, which is the an inability to absorb fats, along with fatigue as well. Interestingly, it seems that non-classical symptoms such as bloating and osteoporosis is in it occurs in actually 66% of cases studied over 15 years or celiac cases studied over 15 years, and I believe that was an Italian study. This non-classical presentation suggests that celiac disease may vary quite a lot in presentation, meaning meaning that consulting with a healthcare, healthcare practitioner for proper testing is pretty vital to find out for sure if you've got it because it can lead to some pretty big complications over the course of your life. So look, let's say you've already done that. You've been to a healthcare practitioner and you've... Um, Uh, spoken to someone and they've said that your celiac test is negative which is fantastic Um, will gluten still affect you so it seems it can and that comes in the form of a wheat allergy or a newer condition that you may not have heard of called non-celiac based gluten sensitivity or non-celiac gluten sensitivity now other than celiac disease which we've reviewed previously a wheat allergy is mediated by something called an IgE immunoglobulin in the immune system which can cause various different symptoms so let's look at some of these symptoms so we mentioned urticaria before uh, we have asthma angioedema which is a swelling of uh, the lower parts of the skin which is quite obvious if you've got it or seen it allergic rhinitis which is a, an interesting one considering how many people suffer from that uh, abdominal pain vomiting the worsening of dermatitis symptoms if you already have it so i had a patient recently with dyshydrotic eczema who managed to cure it for the last two decades with just removing gluten even though she wasn't a celiac And finally, exercise-induced anaphylaxis, which is quite an intense form of wheat sensitivity. These symptoms need to occur within two hours after the exposure to wheat to be considered a wheat allergy, along with other testing. Now, non-celiac gluten sensitivity is little difficult to diagnose. It's only diagnosed when wheat allergy and celiac disease are ruled out, and it's essential to get tested before going on a gluten-free diet otherwise the results may offer a false negative which we can understand is not great because you may then start eating gluten with uh, lots of problems there have already been comprehensive discussions around the overlap between symptoms of ibs and non-celiac gluten sensitivity as well presenting a somewhat chicken and egg situation between the two In fact, gluten is one of the potential triggers of IBS symptoms aside from non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So even the fundamentals there, you can already start to see where some of the conjecture comes from in that we have some tests that we can use to confirm celiac disease and wheat allergy, but we have maybe a limited amount of tests and obviously subjective measures to understand whether or not there is a non-celiac based gluten sensitivity happening which makes it very difficult 
for a model like modern medicine, for example, to or any type of natural medicine, even functional medicine, integrated medicine, to really get a sense of whether someone is has that gluten sensitivity or not via anything apart from doing a gluten-free diet. Now, we're going to take a quick break on Free and Inspired Radio, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at gluten and mental health, which will be quite an interesting one if you're new to it, because gluten actually affects the brain in some cases more or less than, or equal to, excuse me, the digestive system. So we'll be back with more very shortly on Free and Inspired Radio. to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more Free and Inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes. Thank you for sticking with us here on episode 11 of Free and Inspire Radio. We are talking all things gluten. And in the first part of the show, we went through just some basics around where gluten can be found, what it is, and how it might be affecting people with the more serious presentation of things like celiac disease. But we also touched on something called non-celiac-based gluten sensitivity, which means that you can still have some symptoms from gluten, but not necessarily have the autoimmune disease from it or associated with it. Uh, In this section, we're going to be looking at some details around the gluten-free diet, specifically things that you might need to be aware of before starting a gluten-free diet. But first, if you're new to Free and Inspire Radio or you're a regular listener, you'll know that we have quite a big focus on the digestion and the brain and the relationship between the two. And gluten and non-celiac-based gluten sensitivity has a big effect on the brain. Now, gluten is implicated in depression and other mental health conditions. And you may actually, in some cases, not experience digestive symptoms at all. So I'm just going to repeat that. Gluten is implicated in depression and other mental health conditions to the extent that you may not experience digestive symptoms at all. Studies investigating the neurological complications of celiac disease have found that the most common area of non-digestive manifestation of gluten sensitivity is in the brain and the nervous system. This connection goes all the way back to 1956 with a paper named Bread and Tears, Naughtiness, Depression, and fits due to wheat sensitivity. And this is, I think, an interesting part of the conjecture around gluten in the sense that people refer to it as a fad or that it's just fashionable in order to you know, either lose weight or things like that. There's been research for almost 60 years into wheat sensitivities and also into gluten and celiac disease and the effects that it can have on the body. So maybe this isn't as new as it's presented to be. Now, this connection is further substantiated with a compelling paper that expresses that gluten can cause neurological harm without celiac disease being present via direct toxicity, inflammation, and other immune flare-ups within the brain and the nervous system. This scenario was called gluten syndrome 
at the time, and the author suggests that developmental delays in children, depression, migraine, and headaches were prominent elements of how gluten can affect the nervous system. So once again, there's other evidence and other papers looking into the role that gluten can have in the brain. And this is a very interesting part of the conversation I can have with patients in the sense that I ask them about their gluten and their experience with these things. And oftentimes they say, well, my digestion's fine. Then when we take the gluten out, some of their mood symptoms directly change, actually quite quickly in some cases. So that's always very interesting to me. But as you know, with this show, that is still anecdotal. So hopefully over time, we'll be able to explain or better explain the mechanism as to why that's the case. More recently, clinical studies have found increased gluten-related antibodies or immune cells reacting to gluten in patients with bipolar, major depressive disorder, and schizophrenia. And there are many, also many interactions with the brain and gluten, so much so that they probably deserve a complete episode. So I'm looking to put that together at some point in the first part of this year, so stay tuned. So let's say that you've gotten this far on the episode and you're starting to think that a gluten-free diet might be a solution for some of your digestive or mental health concerns. But before you do, let's look at some of the risks you're exposed to when going gluten-free. Long-term gluten restriction can lead to nutritional deficiencies, which we'll look at in a second, but also increased cardiovascular risk and an accumulation of heavy metals such as mercury, lead and cadmium already a significant consideration if you live where this is being recorded in Hong Kong. Whilst grains can seem worth removing for a significant subset of unwell people, the fact remains that they are densely nutritious and their removal will have consequences to the nutritional content of the diet. Now, there's been some analysis of gluten-free diets, and one particular study showed that women consume the uh, 31% of women consume the recommended amount of calcium, 44% of women consume the recommended amount of iron, and 63% of women consumed the uh, necessary or recommended amount of fiber. Now, for men, it was 100% of the calcium, so that's great. Uh, but also 88% of the uh, fiber for men there. So some of these markers were actually really quite low, especially in women. And this is something that we really need to be careful of because unfortunately, IBS symptoms can improve with a gluten-free diet and women are more predominantly affected by IBS, which means that they are more likely to try a gluten-free diet so definitely something to consider there because iron fiber and calcium are major major players in all of our health and not just just for women other studies have looked into a gluten-free food option and revealing they've actually revealed that these products have higher levels of fats trans fat protein and salt than their gluten containing counterparts but look don't despair because look it's not over. (laughs) If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that it's these types of situations that are precisely where supplements can help you. It's also important to talk about the shift towards a whole food diet when going gluten-free. The shift to whole foods can mean getting a better acquainted with your kitchen and dusting off some of those recipe books that you bought with good intentions at the time. Another critical point is to commit. 
If you feel as if you're a candidate for the gluten-free diet, then your trial must be 30 days long at the minimum. That's long enough for you to notice your brain changing, but also must be the same as a celiac's gluten-free diet. And this is really, really important. You just can't be gluten-free for the week and then have a little bit of gluten over the weekend or just a little bit of gluten here and there. The immune system can be extremely sensitive. And in fact, we want it that way. So if you are sensitive to gluten, then just one exposure will be enough to set you back for 72 hours from an immune point of view. And when planning it all out, it's not that easy. So do take a little bit of time to think about this, but also think about just how committed you are to actually going and doing this properly. Otherwise, you may just end up frustrated at the end of it. And I must say, a lot of my patients have presented that way over the years. So look, if you do want to do a gluten-free diet, there are lots of places you can get support, but also take a bit of time out, make sure you've got it all understand, make sure you don't have your closest friend's wedding coming up or there's something there, an excuse for you to break that 30 days. Otherwise, it's pretty fair to say that you're not going to get a very clear result when it comes to either reintroducing or a sense of how the gluten foods might be affecting you. So here we are. We ask the question, do you need to care about gluten? And here is the conclusion, or at least my personal point of view uh, as January 2022, because we like science, we like to know where the things are changing, where things are going. But look, if you're unwell with a gut or mental health or chronic immune, autoimmune issue, I would say you do need to care about gluten. As we've explored here, it's essential to define what's going on in a more personalized fashion, and people living with celiac disease become very ill when they eat gluten. Their avoidance of it has long-term ramifications on the state of their digestive system, systems and their whole body. There is, therefore, it's essential to know what you're dealing with in order to at, uh, act accordingly. So what do you think? I can guarantee this won't be the last episode on gluten as there is so much more to unpack. In saying this, I hope if you are new to the subject, you've been able to understand how gluten at least might be playing a role for you. Before we finish this episode of Free and Inspired Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes and more, jump over to the website philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter sign up on the homepage. You'll be able to see the transcript for the show as well at the same place where you'll also be able to see the references I've used to create this episode of which there were 26 I believe you'll be able to get all of those studies and links there on the website. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street. So if you're feeling like you enjoy this episode and you have the spare time to type a few things about what you got out of it or how it helped you at least, that'd be very, very, very appreciated. If you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe if you feel the need to and you'll be able to then see all the new episodes that come up each week. In the meantime, welcome to 2022. I hope you're feeling okay about the new year. I hope that it hasn't been too intense for you so far and all of those deep breaths are helping. Have yourself a very nice week and we'll be back with you next time. You made it to the end. 
This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.